Christian McBride, backstage at Birdland, March 31st, 2012. Bassist Christian McBride is one of the most prominent players on the music scene. He really gets around, having played on almost 300 recordings before he was 40 years old. Born in Philadelphia in 1972, he can hold down the bottom in any situation, from jazz and classical to pop, hip-hop, and funk. I'm David Gorin. And this is Jazz Stories from Jazz and Lincoln Center. I interviewed McBride between sets at the Blue Note Club in New York City, where he was appearing with his acoustic group, Inside Straight. I know you're from Philly, and uh, I think being from Philly means something to you, and I know Philly is a special music town for jazz, historically, and in other ways too. So, what does Philly mean to you? Certainly Philadelphia has its own personality, it has its own flavor. Uh, I was fortunate because, you know, I have so many musicians in my family. My father is a bassist, my great uncle is a bassist, and it's a city where it has a deep tradition of, uh, of the arts, you know, just not just jazz, but classical music and doo-wop and just a whole bunch of stuff coming out of Philadelphia. So it was a, 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 an easy place to be inspired if you wanted to be a musician. My first instrument was the electric bass, so you know I was listening to all the popular music that was on the radio and trying to copy bass lines from all of my mother's recordings. And then when I enrolled in middle school, that was my first time playing the acoustic bass. I, I had to play in the school orchestra, so of course I couldn't play the electric bass in the orchestra. So. And then I started having formal training and learning classical music and started learning jazz simultaneously. How come jazz? Is that what your dad was playing? Two reasons. One, because my great uncle, he was the jazz player in the family. My dad was playing, uh, he could play jazz, but at that time he was playing with Mago Santa Maria. And then before that, he was playing mostly rhythm and blues and soul music. But my great uncle was always playing jazz on acoustic bass, whereas my father was strictly an electric bass player, at least at that particular time. And then when I started playing the acoustic bass in, in middle school, my great uncle got so excited, he says, well, you know, I, I got some records I want you to listen to. And I always thought of the acoustic bass as sort of the quintessential jazz instrument. I know most people think maybe like the trumpet or the saxophone would be like the ultimate jazz instrument. But for me, it was the bass, just because uh, even at that time, I knew that jazz meant cool and hip and on the cutting edge. And to me, that was my great uncle, and he played bass. You know, most people I saw that played upright bass were really cool jazz musicians. So I just thought that was the quintessential jazz instrument. Did you study at the settlement school? Or? Yes. My mother pretty much enrolled me in every after-school program there was around Philadelphia. I, I played in the Settlement Music School Jazz Ensemble. I played in the Temple University Community Youth Ensemble. I played in the Temple University Youth Chamber Group, the Philadelphia Youth Orchestra. You know, so I got a chance to play with a lot of great young musicians around Philly. Were you aware of the heritage? Did you know about Percy Heath and 
Yeah, Coltrane was well, lived in Philly for a while. Well, for starters, you can't be from Philadelphia and not know John Coltrane lived there. You're surrounded by Coltrane uh, almost everywhere in the city, which is a beautiful thing. I mean, at least if, if you're going to any club or if you're going to any concert hall, uh, you know, again, I, I have to look at my own family because, you know, I had my dad, I had my great uncle, and then I had my uncle, my mother's brother, who was a promotions man at WHAT Radio. So, yes, I was quite aware of Philly's heritage at a very young age, even before I played the bass. You mentioned studying classical. Um, I was lucky enough to uh, talk with Ron Carter mm-hmm. last year, and, you know, he went to Eastman. He was really on the track for classical. But he felt, I mean, this was, a, you know, a different era. He was being discouraged yeah. from uh, being a classical career. They were, you know, there were things on the bulletin board, but they weren't saying, hey, Ron, check out that classical gig. And he started playing jazz to make money. Were you, th- what pushed you into jazz? Were you, you know, more to consider it uh, as what you were going to play? Or did you ever consider classical? Well, it was my naive goal when I first moved to New York to have a dual career as a classical and a jazz bassist because I loved playing classical music. I still love playing. I mean, I don't get to play it nearly as often as I used to, but uh, I felt like I had made at least a little bit of headway in the classical world, you know, being able to play in a Philadelphia youth orchestra, which was pretty much like a training ground for young musicians who are either going to go into the Philadelphia orchestra or some major symphony in the country, uh, or in the world, rather, and then going to Juilliard to study with Homer Minch. So at least I I had never felt discouraged that I couldn't do it. You know, I, I was more interested in playing music that would allow me the freedom to express myself, and that was jazz, you know. Anything else about Philly you want to say before we move on? Uh, does it... Still nurture you? You still have family there? Oh, yeah. All my family is still in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I certainly love to go Philly and check in. It's a very proud town, you know. It's very interesting because Philly, particularly when it comes to the jazz scene, Philly has always had that bitter, small, like younger sibling syndrome, you know, because it's so close to New York. You have this towering metropolis known as New York City kind of hovering 90 miles north. And, you know, eventually anybody who has any talent who wants to go further than Philly has to go to New York. And uh, Philly's very bitter about that. (laughs) But, you know, Philly's not special in in that situation. I mean, I think that's the case if you're from Chicago, you're going to have to move to New York at some point. You know, if you're from San Francisco or Los Angeles, you're going to have to move to New York at some point because that's just that's just how it is here, you know. Yeah. Not that we don't like the other cities, you know, but uh, I once heard a musician say you have to move to New York to work everywhere else in the world except New York. <laughs> I guess that, you know, the times have changed that, you know, cities with their own identity in jazz. That's true. Yeah, that... You know, I think that's one thing about the Internet. You know, some people say it's good, some people say it's bad. But uh, when you think of how the Internet has made the world a lot smaller, you know, you can find out what's going on anywhere in the world in a few seconds. 
the whole thing about cities having their own sound, yes, that's sort of dead now, you know, because everybody's listening to each other all over the world all the time. Let's see what the Chicago cats are doing. We'll go to YouTube. Now the Philly cats see what the Chicago guys are doing and vice versa. And the Chicago guys are seeing what the the Washington, D.C. guys are doing, you know, so everybody's listening to each other all the time. But I, I think that's a good thing. Things are seem nicheified now. Yes. You know, everything is sort of jazz is a certain thing. Uh, what I find interesting about you is you remind me of, like, I think of uh, Richard Davis in the 60s, who was a jazz player, or Sam Jones and Louis Hayes, who played with Kendall Adderley. But you would find them on all these pop records, folk rock records. They were, and you remind me, not that you're playing on folk rock records, but you sure. you are playing on lots <laughs> of different recordings, and you're not a purist. You're not saying, like, pop music is a corruption, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I've played with a lot of musicians who don't play jazz who have much integrity in their music. And I think that's the argument, is that somehow jazz people think that there's no integrity in pop music because the people who like it are maybe not willing to embrace the intelligence or try to strive for the intelligence of what jazz has. But that has nothing to do with the music, you know what I mean? Um, for somebody to tell me Stevie Wonder's music is less pure, you know, than... Uh, Miles Davis's music, for example, or Coltrane's. I mean, I would have to blatantly disagree. I mean, Stevie Wonder approaches his music with the same seriousness and elegance and integrity that any jazz musician would. And it's also a little bit of a naive notion to think that there's no such thing as bad jazz. There is plenty of acoustic straight-ahead jazz that is not good you know, just because it's swinging, or at least it's, it's attempting to swing, and it's acoustic, doesn't mean that automatically it's now conceptually much better than good popular music. That's just that's just not true. That's that's a political stance. That's not a real musical observation. That's why I've always had no problem with playing any different kinds of music. You know, I would much rather work with some really good rock or you know folk or blues or classical musicians in the work with some jazz guys who just really don't know what's happening. <laughs> there are a lot of people in the jazz world, maybe not just in the jazz world, but that's the world we mostly live in. There's a sort of a, a conundrum because we talk about this great evolution of this music and, the, and the, how it's influenced and has been influenced by all these different cultures around the world. But then when the music evolves into something that we're not used to, it's guilty until proven innocent, you know. And uh, any musician from my generation, we find it odd that a lot of older musicians or, or uh, critics or journalists find it, quote-unquote, interesting that we're influenced by things other than jazz. Like, you know, we find it interesting that you listen to James Brown. It's like, why is that so interesting? Who doesn't listen to James Brown? You know, where did it happen that jazz musicians 
consciously said to themselves, we're only going to listen to jazz. We're only going to be influenced by jazz. We're only going to be informed by other jazz artists. I never saw where that happened because even the greatest jazz that we know is immortal. You know, you talk about Miles Davis or Charlie Parker. Even they were influenced by your Bing Crosby's and your uh, Broadway musicals, you know. Everybody's been informed by something that has come from uh, outside of their culture. And um, there's been plenty of music made in the jazz realm that has been very um, street-informed, you know. I said this on the radio a few months ago, and a couple of people got offended, but it is really the truth. We paint these pictures of the great jazz legends as if they were Oxford instructors. But the truth of the matter is people like Monk, Miles Davis, Sonny Rollins, Bird, Dizzy Gillespie, as deep as their genius was, they were from the street. These guys lived what would be considered a hip-hop lifestyle. You know what I mean? When you think of what Jay-Z, I mean, you know, they weren't as popular or as rich as, as Jay-Z or P. Diddy is now. But, I mean, what black culture is is always, you know, when, when you th think of, like, what it's been in the neighborhood, in the street, that's always informed the highest level of jazz. And uh, we can't forget that. When I hear people putting these guys on a pedestal, and meanwhile they say somebody like Common, you know, the great rapper who I admire very much, oh, uh, you know, that. Why, how could you possibly like that? He's not even in the same league. I'm going, uh-oh. You're going exactly against what our jazz legends were informed by also, which was life on the street. Before we go, yeah. Tell me about playing the gig with Sonny Rollins and Roy Haynes, and I saw, uh, you know, an audience video when Ornette Coleman yes. comes out. What was that like? It, it, it was heavy. It was absolutely heavy to be at the rehearsal. That was my second time having a chance to play with Sonny and Roy Haynes. And, you know, when you're playing between these two titans, you know, all you can really do is just go pinch me, you know, uh, to see how they still have all of their energy. They still have all of their swagger. They still have all of their pop, you know what I mean? I just felt very lucky to be there. And then when Sonny said, when he told us at the rehearsal, he said, well, it looks like Ornette's gonna come. I don't know for sure, but it looks like he may come. I couldn't believe it, you know? And then uh, nobody knew if he was coming for sure until the very, very last minute. You know, and then there he was standing in the hall, uh, standing backstage in the wings, and we saw him there with a saxophone. And I thought, oh, what's this is this is unimaginable, you know. And then Sonny and and uh, Ornette went into their thing, and till and, you know, that's been what two years since we did it. I'm still trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> I mean, you listen to that stuff Ornette was playing. And Sonny just played it right back to him, and I realized I was, that might have been the first time in my life where I realized I was taking part in a historic moment. To see those two saxophone titans going mano y mano, you know, and, and Roy Haynes and I just sitting there like, okay, just keep your antenna up. <laughs> Bassist Christian McBride 
To hear more jazz stories, go to JALC.org, where you can also find information on tours by the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra and upcoming events at Rose Hall, the House of Swing. You can also subscribe to Jazz Stories on iTunes. Jazz Stories is produced by Alexa Lim, Stephen Rath, and me, David Gorin. We invite you to support Jazz at Lincoln Center by coming to the House of Swing in New York City or at the new Dizzy's Club next time you're in Dubai. For Jazz Stories, I'm David Gorin. <laughs>